The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you join me in prayer, please? And Father, we thank you again for your word. And I'm reminded uh, how Jesus quoted as being tempted in the desert by Satan. He said, man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God, we need your word. We need to be nourished by your word each and every day. And so in this hour now, together, collectively, as a church body, God, we look to you, even as chicks would look to their their mother with their mouths wide open, desiring to be fed. Would you feed us? Would you place deep in our heart your sanctifying word of truth and have it powerfully effective upon us and and your work and your good work in us. Please. God, we love you. Give us ears to hear, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, this certainly wasn't expected to be back in the building, but... But it's nice. It is nice, yeah. It's great to see everybody. Well, here we are. Amos chapter 8. So, when I started preparing this sermon, it wasn't smoky outside. Um, But prior to that, you know, traveling through the valley this time of year, do you know what I did not see? What I did not see this time of year? I didn't see fruit trees being pruned. There is no thinning taking place. You know, there's no spraying going through the orchards or fertilizing or or even watering. That may have been happening, but at least my eyes didn't see it. You know, none of that to any degree was taking place. Only one thing was. What do you think that was? It was harvest time, right? It was harvest time. Bins were dispersed. You know, they're ready to be filled with fruit, of which the pickers, you know, they're up at the break of day, up early, and out through the day, efficiently picking fruit and filling those bins. It was harvest time. Not hammer time. Harvest time, okay? All the labor in cultivating the soil, you know, tending the crop, all the care that goes into a fruitful yield comes to an end at harvest time. Growth has reached its end. The fruit is it's mature. It's ready to be picked. It's harvest time. It's a wonderful time of year. You know, the first part of September. Every year, harvest time. And it's, it's great for everyone. You know, the fruit loop, typically, not right now, but fruit loop typically is just, it's, it's in full swing. You know, there's visitors, they're lining the roadways, the, the valley is just buzzing with exciting activity. It's harvest time. You know, there is, 
There is, however, there is a harvest time, however, that will not be great for everyone. It will not be great for everyone. The harvest of souls. When the Lord of the harvest comes to reap of his harvest. It'll be a a joy, a time of joy and elation for those who belong to him. No, no question. But also a time of dread and terror for those who don't. And our passage in consideration this morning confronts us with just that. The Lord of the harvest comes to reap of his harvest. And there are three things we'll explore this morning on this topic. The first is in Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through just the first part of 2. And that is the, the time of harvest comes. Okay? In, in Israel's case here, in the days of Amos, speaking of God's judgment of them, right? But it's also a foreshadowing of the coming day of the Lord. The time of harvest has come. And naturally, we would, we would start there, right? Much like the season of harvest that is upon us right now, you know, that time comes. Not in, not in April or, or May or June or July, but, but the harvest time comes for us here in the Hood River Valley, usually during the early part of fall, you know, either late August or early September, which we find ourselves now. Well, similarly... Similarly, the time of the harvest of souls, God's judgment executed will come. It will come. And Amos, in the passage, is speaking of it to the nation Israel at this time in their nation's history. And leading up to this, what have we seen? We have seen warning after warning that has been given over a period of of time, though we've only we've gone through this a few months, this is some years that has passed where Amos is preaching to the people, giving these warnings, these sermons. The Lord of the harvest, warning his people through the prophet Amos that judgment is coming. The warnings have ceased. The warnings have ceased. The time has come, and God gives Amos a vision to signify it. Let's look at verses 1 through the first part of 2. This is what the Lord God showed me, showed Amos in the vision. He says, Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. And we'll hold up there for the moment. The end has come upon my people Israel. Made clear to Amos in a vision from God. A a harvested basket of summer fruit. Harvested, right? Basket of summer fruit. There has been pleading warnings. Pleading warnings have been given with striking words to awaken God's people leading up to this. Okay? The people Israel. To awaken them to to their deplorable state. But it's been to no avail. Injustice and unrighteousness remained. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to hear these words from Amos. Okay? We heard last week that, you know, the prior chapter, chapter 7, that Ben preached upon, we heard the king say what? 
away with you. That's what he's telling Amos. Away with you. We don't want to hear you, Amos. Preach elsewhere. Preach, go south. Go preach to them. This was the nation, Israel's state. Hard-hearted, obstinate to the truth, deaf to rebuke, set in their ways, unwilling to repent. Unwilling to repent. The end has come upon my people Israel. God says through Amos, there's no more warnings. Okay, there's, there's no more pleading with them. Like the time of harvest when all the labor in cultivating the soil and tending the crop, all the, all the care that goes into a fruitful yield, it comes to an end. So it is for the people Israel. And so it will be at the end of the age as this foreshadows the day of the Lord when the Lord of the harvest comes to reap of his harvest. The final day of judgment. That day will come. When the Son of Man, this is right out of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he sits on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you, are, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then to those on the left, those on the left, he'll say, depart from me. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That time will come. Are you ready for it? For take notice. Take notice of the remainder of verse 2. We'll back up just a tad. Take notice, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. I will never again pass by them. God God says that exact same thing through the prophet Amos at the end of verse 8 in the previous chapter, chapter 7. The exact same phrase. Just to the left on your page, perhaps. What is he alluding to here? I'm convinced it's the time given to repent. It's the time given to repent. Our second point to contemplate this morning. The time of repentance has passed. For the latter part of verse 2 through the end of verse 10, the time of repentance has passed. All along up to this time, Amos has been, he's been preaching the God, he's been preaching to the people of Israel, informing them of their self-delusion, their religious hypocrisy, their injustice and unrighteousness, their false security and riches, their oppression, their abuse and exploitation of the poor and needy for selfish gain. He's been doing that all the way through. God, through Amos, has been spending lengths of time passing by, if you will, 
passing by with every word spoken to them through Amos, making this known to them. This is, this is your state, Israel. This is your state, and judgment is coming. I assure you, you will not escape it. Repent. Time was given beforehand to repent. He's saying, repent. This is what's happening. Passing by, you could say. Like one of us would pass by someone who is, who is blind to the fact that they are in a very bad place. On a beeline towards definite peril that awaits them to which they have no awareness of. But we do. Like we see it. This is what you're on. We would pass by and give them warning like, hey, hey, this is coming. This is ahead of you. This awaits. Look, look, it's approaching. There is no way you'll be spared. No way you'll escape unless you act now. You gotta act now. The opportunity is now. If you act now, it can be evaded. But you must act now. Now, if you are to change the course, now is the time to act. Does that sound familiar? God, through the Holy Spirit, through various authors of Scripture, makes that very appeal. If you hear his voice, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time will come where though you want to, you would want to, you won't be able to. Now is the time to repent. This has been what God has been saying through Amos, and they remained obstinate to it, unwilling to change course, unwilling to repent. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. There will be a day when the time of repentance, the time to be able to repent, it'll pass. It won't be there anymore. Jesus is speaking of that time when he says, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, whom he won't let in to the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at that chilling account. It's in Matthew 7, if you want to jot that down. But that passage says, a healthy tree. We're going to back up a little bit. The healthy, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's judgment. That's eternal fire judgment. Thrown into the fire, Jesus says. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now here it is. Not everyone who says to me, says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, harvest day, the day of judgment, many, Jesus says, not few, but many, Many will say to me, say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never 
knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The time to repent had passed. The people Israel had time to repent. Same as we do right now. They had time to repent and they didn't. Time's up. Time is up. Though they would want to, they can no longer. In the very next chapter, the final chapter, chapter 9, in the opening verse, Amos sees God give command to strike. Right? Judgment is happening. The time to repent has passed. Verse 3, the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They're thrown everywhere, like silence. Horror-stricken now are the people of Israel. Horror-stricken. All that is lifted in voice in the temple is wailings of sorrow and grief instead of song. So much so that there is even a cry for silence due to the deafening outcry of unbearable heartache. Like, like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. The wailings of anguish, outcry of soul by those who do not know Christ will be so great that even the sound of them will be in want of escape. Do you hear that? On that judgment day, the day of the Lord of the harvest comes to reap of his harvest. God calls out their fruitless deeds in verses 4 through 6. Let's go ahead and read that. 4 through 6, he says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring this poor of the land to an end. He's speaking to the people of Israel. Hear this, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat. You know what they're saying here? The people, they're not concerned about the things of God, is all that's saying right there. They were all wrapped up in the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. They held the attitude equivalent in our day of, oh man, when is church service going to be over with? I'm, put, I'm putting in my church time, but man, when, I can't wait till it's over so I can go do something else. Go play, go work, but something. I just, when is it going to be over? That's the attitude, okay? And I'm not down in work and play to the glory of God in its proper place, but that is the attitude God is calling out here. Do you hear it? Let's read that again. In the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, saying, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? Come on, I'm done. I'm ready to move on. That's the attitude in the text. The Sabbath, the festivals they observed were only a matter of formalities. That's all it was. It wasn't, it wasn't a part of who they were. It wasn't, there was no engaging in life in it. There was no sincere interest in the things of God, but only 
the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life at all costs. Even to the cost of the oppression and the poor and needy. It didn't matter. Just for their own gain. And God sees it plainly. He sees it plainly. He is not fooled. Verse 7 tells us that exact same thing. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. He is not fooled. He is not fooled. He sees it all. He doesn't forget it all. And he will rightly judge it all. To the farthest reaches. Right? To the farthest reaches. Being God, supreme judge of all, shall he not? Which is the very rhetorical question he himself asks in verse 8. Shall not the land tremble on this account? On this account? And every, everyone mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt, which flooded every year, okay? God's judgment, like the yearly Nile flood and the flood in the days of Noah, for that matter, it it covers all. His judgment covers all. No one will escape God's judgment that comes. No one. And it comes unexpectedly. Verse 9, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it will be like a bitter day. The Lord of the harvest will come at an hour you do not expect. He will come at an hour we do not expect, and none will escape his dreadful judgment. Every waste, sackcloth, everyone, no one will escape it. For those who know him as Lord and Savior, right? We are to be ready. Mark reminded us, and we went through that gospel a lot, right? We are to be ready, eagerly, eagerly, patiently waiting his return while we faithfully serve him in laboring for his kingdom, to be on guard and ready. That's the instruction for those who belong to Christ, who delight in him, who follow him. Those who don't know him as Lord and Savior, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to repent. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time will come when though you want to, you won't be able to. Now is the time to repent. Don't be of those those many. Those many who come to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, whom Jesus declares to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those words, depart from me, the same words spoken in Matthew 25 when he says to them, when he says to those on his left, depart from me, same words, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Don't discover yourself to be one of them, coming to Jesus, calling him Lord, even thinking that they are in his kingdom when they are in fact not. That's a trembling verse. 
I mean, how can we be certain that we are not of those many? Right? You may be asking that. I recall Jesus' words from that very passage in Matthew 7. That very passage back up, he says, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits. Let's put fruits this way. Let's really put some backing on that. The fruit, the fruit of one's life, the fruit. What is seen in a person's life that reveals the condition of their heart? Stated this way, that which, that which discloses their hidden nature within. Okay? The fruit of our lips and our deeds. And so, as a means to answer that question, like, how can I be certain that I'm not one of those who come to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, whom Jesus sends away, says, I never knew you. I don't want to be one of those. How can we be certain that we are not one of the many? I'll offer three. Three chief measures to examine oneself by. Where we can make honest deductions, right? We've been talking about early on through Amos. It's, the theology is very practical. There's a lot of deductions to make. It's not complicated in that sense. I offer three chief measures we can examine oneself by. You can, you can call it the ABCs of Christian fruit, you can say. Not, not apples, berries, and cherries, but ABCs of Christian fruit. First one, A, appetite. Appetite for God's word. Appetite for God's word. Let's go to Psalm. You can turn there. As many scripture references would apply, but this one... Is one I was led to. It's beautiful. It's certainly a familiar one for, I believe, the church. And let's read it in its entirety. It's not a long psalm, but worth reading out loud from our lips. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. 1. <laughs> Psalm 1. A. ABCs of Christian fruits. A. Deduction. Do you have an appetite for God's word? B. Brotherhood. Brotherhood, do you love the brethren? Do you love the people of God, the church, fellow born-again believers and obedient followers of Christ? I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. 
Do you sense a kinship with them that is not of this world? You guys had those moments, complete stranger, and there's just this kinship when you, the same spirit you share. Do you sense a kinship with him that is not of this world? Let's read some passages again. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to add one in here as I read this. Verse 9, if you've turned there. Chapter 3 of 1 John. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So we can add an O in there for obedience to God's word, an appetite for God's word, and abiding in God's word, and a submission to it, right? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Because if they sin, they repent. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That's why a Christian is miserable when they sin. He can't keep on doing it and be okay with it. By this, verse 10, by this it is evident, so here's like this confirmation that I am not of the many, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's not submitting to God's word, not keeping God's commandments. Listen here, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. There's more, John says that also in verse 17 in chapter 4 as well, but that'll suffice. The love of the brethren, that kinship we have with him, that is not of this world. See, let's move on, see. Charity, right? Charity. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, as Jesus' disciples, whom he knows, if you have, what? Love. Charity. Love. The highest form of love. Love for one another, which certainly ties right in to be Brotherhood, but it's it's but above all, it's it's love for God. It's love for God, for the things of God. Dear friend, does does God captivate your heart and mind? Do you do you let God know how much you love him and hear from his word how much he loves you? Are those conversations taking place? Is that expressed in your prayers? We want to be certain, church. These are deductions we can make. And where does this love come from? That helps to know as well, right? Where does this love come from? Galatians 5, 22-23. But the fruit, there's that word again. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first one listed, and rightly so. The fruit of the Spirit is love, charity. It's also joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They will know we are Christians by our love. A fruit of the Spirit of Christ within us, powerfully working His grace in making us into a new humanity, right? Bearing the likeness of Him, of Christ, in our love. Our love for God, the Father first and foremost, and love for our neighbor. Church, it's your, it's your faith working through love, is what Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, along with the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit, the joy, peace, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all deductions where we can ask that question and examine yourself by, right? And so along with me, church, consider these ABCs of Christian fruit to be assured that you are in the faith. Appetite for God's word, love of the brethren, and love for God and our neighbor. I bring, I bring to your attention the parable of the sower and the seed. Remember in, in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 13, both contain the parable. The sower went out, and he, he sowed seed, right? Some fell along the path, some on the rock, rocky ground, some amongst the thorns, and some in some, in some good soil. If your understanding of that parable has been anything other than the last hearer, the last hearer being the one whom, 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 is the, you know, the, whom would be the good soil that the seed fell into, as being the one and only one saved? If that has not been your understanding, then your understanding has been wrong. The first three, the first three in that parable are not genuine believers. They're not. The, the third one, the one that's choked, is right in line with Matthew 7. The cares and the riches and pleasures of this life choke them and their fruit, note that, their fruit does not mature. Don't miss that, beloved. Their fruit does not mature. You see, they, they have this appearance of fruit in their lives. Okay? This appearance of fruit in their lives. They they look like Christians. They act like Christians. Say and believe they are Christians, but they are not. Is it, is it not startling to you when Jesus says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works. Many, right? Many mighty works in your name. First of all, do you hear the false confidence portrayed by them? You know, they just, they carry with this presumed attitude, like we're in like Flynn. But notice, Jesus doesn't say, oh no, you didn't. Like, I don't think so. Those are false claims. He doesn't say that. He doesn't correct them. 
He doesn't deny their claim of works in his name, but rather goes right on to the fact that he never knew them. I never knew you. Okay, he doesn't deny their claims. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus, he doesn't deny that they had works in his name. He doesn't correct them in what they testify to. They had works indeed, but it was dead works, okay? It was dead works, false works from a false faith. Jesus says, in essence, I know all you've done. I know everything you've done in my name even. Look right at me. Look right at me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Contrast, contrast them with the one whom Psalm 1 speaks of, the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Take notice of the fruit spoken of in this psalm. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Yields its fruit. Fruit that is specific, firstly, for that branch. I mean, isn't that something that's super cool, right, Christian? There is specific fruit God is working to bring about to, in its season, maturity, right? To bring about to maturity in your life. In my life, that's specific for us. I dig that. Fruit for his glory that no one else shares. It's solely yours to bear for God's pleasure. His glory and your joy. The, you know, the Christian's fruit, plural, you know, our fruit together, certainly complement one another. Kind of like a, a fruit salad bowl is a delicacy and delicacy to enjoy in all of its varieties. But it's made up of individual fruit. Fruit that's distinct. Each fruit is yielded in its season, when it's mature. What happened to those ones who were choked? It never matured. It was false. When it's mature, in its season, and ready to pick. I mean, let's think of this practically. No one goes out and picks hard green blackberries to enjoy. Even the red ones are just like, they just bite back if you take a bite into them, right? I mean, no way. Or any other unripe fruit a tree or vine would bear. You wait till it's fully ripe, till it's fully mature to pick. So it is, according to God's word, so it is with the fruit in our lives that we bear for God. You know, throughout the, throughout the seasons of life, we have fruit the Lord of the harvest is working pruning and fertilizing, watering, caring for, all up to the time it's ready to be picked in its season. I mean, we live in the valley. We, we know this well. We see that there's certain berries, strawberries happen first, and raspberries, and even amongst the berries, there's varieties. You know, blueberries that happen midsummer and ones in the late. I mean, we know this well. Do you remember 
what the seed that fell on the good soil did? We're going to go back to that parable briefly. Do you remember what that one did? Luke chapter 8. As for that, that seed that fell in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in a good and good, excuse me, in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with, what do you think comes after that? Patience. Takes patience for it to mature, right? With patience. Because the thing is, the Lord of the harvest is the one who determines when it's mature and ready to pick, right? I don't harvest, I'm a branch. The branch doesn't do that. It's, it's bearing it and yielding it to be picked, but the branch doesn't pick the fruit. The harvester does. Jesus is the harvester. He determines when it's ready to pick. It is he who knows when it's ready to be picked, and he doesn't pick it early or late, but in its season. In its proper time. Our part the branches, to bear it, to bear the fruit with patience as we wait upon him who supplies everything required for us to to yield it at all. We do this by holding fast to the word of God in an honest and good heart, which simply means we trust and obey. Trust and obey the word of God that will yield abundant fruit in your life for God. And Christ Jesus ends this parable by saying, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, he who has faith. He who has faith. He's saying, he who has faith, understand and act on these words. For those who are Christ's are those who both hear the word of God and do it, right? That's right out of uh, Luke. For those who are Christ's are those who hear the word of God and do it. Such are those of faith who are, who are obedient to the faith. That faith that comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In this present age, I never grow tired of hearing the testimony of when that day occurred for somebody. When, when faith came alive in someone's soul. I never grow tired of that. A young brother recently, young brother in the faith, recently shared with me his account of it. And it came right out of the very parable of the sower and the seed we were just speaking of earlier. He shared about how on this particular occasion, while reading through that parable that he's read before and has had it read to him before as well, But on this particular occasion, as he's reading through it, the story that Jesus told of the sower and the seed and the different ground it fell on, he shared how it gripped his heart like never before and awakened him to believe and follow after Christ. 
It awakened faith. The fear of God came alive in him for the first time in a real way, and it marked, it is marked as the day he became a Christian. I love those testimonies. I never go tired of hearing them. They are the best stories ever. Psalm 87 captures the excitement of those testimonies with heavenly words, I believe. Verses 3, 4, and 6. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, right? Which is made up of the church, okay? Among those who know me. This one was born here, they say. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. You see what that's saying? Going back to that testimony of the young man on that day that this man was reading the sower and the seed parable in Matthew 7. This one was born here. I love that picture. He knows the day that new birth came, and that was when it happened. That's the verse. That's the verse. It's beautiful, okay? But there is a day. There is a day when that day will be, when that will be no more. When saving faith will be no longer given. The time the gospel message is no longer offered. Our third and final point. The time of the gospel message, it ends. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The day will come, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 12. The day will come when the offer of salvation the gospel message of Jesus Christ will no longer be extended. I find, I find verses 11 through 12 in Amos 8, of which God lays the heaviest and sorest judgment upon the people Israel, though the people Israel would search to dizzying measures to hear from God, you know, a message, some instruction, some guidance from above for help. None will be given. None will be given. No word of hope during this time of judgment, but only abandonment to, of them to the ruin promised to them for their sin. All this providing a foretaste of that day that final day, the Lord of the harvest will come and reap of his harvest. I find those verses 11 through 12 as one of the saddest passages in the Bible. Let's go ahead and read that. 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The one would come from the farthest reaches of the earth to seek the word of the Lord. They will not Find it. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. There will be no more hearing the word of Christ by whose name you may be saved because Christ, he will be harvesting, right? He's judging. He's there. There's no more giving a message of the gospel. Jesus is there harvesting. The, the time of the gospel message ends. The time for the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ comes to, the, to an end. The Lord of the harvest, Jesus Christ, will be reaping of his harvest, separating the sheep to his right and the goats to the left, whom he says, depart from me, to hell. On his right, the sheep enter into the kingdom. There's no more gospel message being shared. He will throw into the lake of fire and sulfur, along with the devil who had deceived them, those who do not know Christ, those who are not in him, those who do not love him, where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever in the presence of the holy angels and in the, and in the presence of the Lamb. It's conscious, eternal, never-ending torment. No gospel preached, no salvation offered on that day. There will be no more hearing the word of Christ by whose name you may be saved. The time for the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ will be no more. The time of the gospel ends. Therefore, now, yes, we've returned there. <laughs> now, while that time exists, which it does right now, if there is doubt in your mind, and heart as to whether you are truly a Christian, don't let that run idle. Don't let that run idle. Understand, friend, it's, it's not a bad question to ask. Am I truly a believer? I don't think that's a bad question to ask. To be wondering, what would Christ say to me, I never knew you? Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness? Is that what Jesus would say to me? That's not a bad question to ask. If you have that doubt in your mind and heart, it's dangerous to merely presume he wouldn't. If you have doubt in your heart as to whether you are truly born again, ask that question to yourself and keep seeking the Lord till you are certain. Because you want to be certain and you can be certain. Don't assume. Beloved, my, my greatest concern for you is not your physical well-being, but the well-being of your immortal soul. That you would be rooted deep in the faith and love of Jesus Christ. And on the heels of that, on the heels of that, fully assured of your salvation in him, which, Christian, is attainable. 
It is attainable because with that assurance comes power. Comes power in your life and your testimony. Live for him to his glory and your joy. That's what that assurance brings and I want it for you. If if doubt resides in your heart, pursue him till it's put to rest and then keep pursuing him that the joy of that assurance would only intensify and expand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for something now that we haven't done here before and perhaps may not again. It's, it's not a practice here, and nor will it be, but, but I'm compelled. I'm compelled to provide an opportunity for some acknowledged exposure. So I'm going to invite everyone to, to, to bow your head and close your eyes. To bow your head and close your eyes. My eyes alone will remain open as I look upon the assembly, but everyone else, please close your eyes and and, and keep them closed. Allow, Allow a space here, a space for a gentle nudge. At this time, with all eyes closed, I offer an opportunity to step forward, to step towards removing any doubt. As you've been listening this morning, if if there has been a doubt there, and this question rightly applies to you, am I truly saved? I invite you to acknowledge that now by lifting up your hand. Lift it that I may see it. And I'm not one to linger long in silence. You know this about me. So if your heart is being tugged on right now, now is the time to act. Simply raise your hand and acknowledge that. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your eyes have seen that step forward, that acknowledgement of that uncertainty by the hand raised. And and God, even if a hand wasn't raised, but that exists within someone present here. I pray that you would grant that assurance Father, I know that there's, even as we've discussed this morning, there's deductions we can make, good ones, accurate ones, and more could be added to that as far as evidences of the the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And those are good, and those are helpful, and I thank you for them, and and I pray that they are effective in reassuring us we belong to you. But God, I know there is so much more. 
there is a, a touch from you, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a, a, a direct work from you upon your child that is independent from them, that is not activated by them, that cannot be coerced, but is just simply done by you out of love, where you take a hold of your child and you embrace them and you say, I love you, I love you. You are mine and you are forever secured in me. God, would you do that? And for those of us here who, who have that blessed assurance, that, that baptism with the Spirit, as your scripture speaks of it, God, give it again. I want that kiss again for my dad. Would you take a hold of your people this morning? Each individual saint, every child, God, would you give that deep in their heart? Touch them, shower that upon them. And help us, God. Keep strong that assurance by walking closely with you each and every day. with an honest and good heart holding fast to your word. We pray this. I pray for every soul that you would give that assurance. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord of the harvest will come to reap of his harvest. For those who with patience bear fruit, pleasing to him, that day will be a glorious union. A glorious union with the one you know by faith now, right? We see dimly now, but on that day it'll be bright and clear. But for those who do not know Jesus, the closing verses, verses 13 through 14, make it very clear. Strength and beauty, right? Strength and beauty, pictured by the lovely virgins and the young men, will faint and fail, as will all false gods. They all fail and never rise again. They're dead. There will be no aid, no aid will they provide to lift or despair the ruin that will befall you who do not belong to Christ. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Repent and turn to Christ and be saved. Father, on that closing note, we thank you for the time we've shared this morning. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would administer your word within every heart here as it's been considered, that you would apply it that you would strengthen faith, that you would convict sin, and as it's been prayed, that you would bring strong assurance 
and who we are in Christ. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.